with the playing of the familiar theme song, we go out to the other coast of the United States. It's called the Left Coast. And see what's happening with Michael Steider and what movies he's seen. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, Alex. And greetings, Gabnet uh, listeners and viewers. Happy to be here. Uh, we've got a bunch of movies to cover. And let's dive in, beginning with Madam Web. Now, I'm not saying this because the studio tried to keep critics away from Madam Web uh, to a certain extent, as in like last minute, early hour screenings a day before reviews needed to be filled uh, and filed um, or because of superhero fatigue. But Madam Web, which is the latest half-assed attempt by Sony Pictures uh, to capitalize off its contract with Marvel, giving Sony the use of any and all Spider-Man-related characters from Marvel Comics, is a bomb. It's just not very good. And I need to point out that Sony's three pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe Sam Raimi-helmed Spider-Man movies with uh, Tobey Maguire were pretty damn good un until the last one, which, which wasn't terrible. The two follow-up Spidey movies they did with Andrew Garfield were okay, and the three relatively recent uh, movies starring Tom Holland as Peter Spider-Man Parker and done in conjunction with Marvel as part of the MCU were serious fun and probably my favorites since the second Raimi one. Supposedly, but, supposedly the, uh, the uh, uh, animated ones are supposed to be very good. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. I'm yeah. going to get to that. Uh, every other Sony-controlled live-action Spider-Man spinoff, okay, Venom, Venom 2, or Venom meets Carnage, whatever it was called, and especially Morbius, every last one of these was at best mediocre and at worst lame. And to be fair, like you bring it up, Sony hit the jackpot with the brilliantly creative and explosive animated Spider-Man Spider-Verse movies, which... Um, they let accomplished creators have their way with they they said okay they found the right guys and they said hey we're gonna stay out of it but uh unfortunately the suits have meddled with these um live action spider-man adjacent movies and they're mostly exercises in hackery and madam web may be the worst of them uh it's certainly the silliest and the clumsiest and possibly the most repetitive uh so Dakota Johnson plays Cassandra Webb, a Manhattan paramedic whose mother was a scientist studying spiders in the Amazon while pregnant. And this woman dies during childbirth, but not before some, I don't know, spider juice in her system gets into baby Cassandra. Now it's the early 2000s and Cassandra is working with a fellow EMT named ben parker as in peter parker's uncle ben and for the record ben is played by adam scott of parks and recreation a show that was intentionally funny yeah as opposed to this movie which is unintentionally funny in places so um it's rescues as usual until cassandra starts getting glimpses of the future including alarming ones that have to do with three women endangered by a spidery dude who is up to no good that's right cassandra webb as in cassandra the blind seer of greek mythology and webb as in what spiders spin is getting prescient prescient futurish vis, uh, visions involving arachnids so the three women are played by girl of the moment sydney sweeney 
Celeste O'Connor, and Isabella Merced, and they're all spider-themed heroes in the comic books, but not for the bulk of the movie. The nemesis is played by Tahir Rahim. He was so good in the Serpent miniseries, and here he's clearly cashing a paycheck as the Spider-Man comic book villain Ezekiel. And none of these people are given much to do or say that isn't laughably stilted and ridiculous. So Johnson, when given a, a, a meaty role and a good script, like a bigger splash, does a good job. But here she's trapped with a stinker and sometimes looks like she actually wants to hold her nose. No joke. Um, the veteran TV director S.J. Clarkson and her three screenwriting collaborators have made this sort of nonsensical comic book movie that used to give comic book movies a bad name. Uh, there are genuinely witty superhero films out there, and this is not one of them. Although, like I said, uh, or implied, I did laugh in a sort of contemptuous way. Uh, Madam Web is in theaters. I mean, yikes. <clears throat> anyway, um, as much as I admire the late Bob Marley, uh, as the dreadlocked poet laureate of reggae music and a benign peace, love, and weed icon of the Rastafarian religious cult. And as much as his albums with his band, The Whalers, have meant to me over the years, I can't help but admit the new biopic about the man, Bob Marley, One Love, is dull. And that is despite solid performances by Kingsley Benadir as Marley, and Lashana Lynch, you know her from uh, the last James Bond film and uh, Captain Marvel. She plays uh, Marley's wife, Rita. And there are helpings of the man's music, original tracks and recreations throughout. And in case you don't know, this is the guy behind Get Up, Stand Up, Lively Up Yourself, Don't Worry About a Thing, Stare It Up, Buffalo Soldier, No Woman, No Cry, and more. So the film, directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green and approved by members of the Marley family, those who are still with us, tries to make a case for his musical and cultural significance and his status as a force for goodness and unity on the geopolitical front, especially in his native Jamaica, despite forces that were so aligned against him and tried to bring him down in such serious fashion that we're talking guns and ammunition. So... As the Rostel would say, I and I was not blown away, man. Uh, will this movie bring followers uh, to Rastafarianism and its supposed prophet, the late Ethiopia Emperor Haile Selassie? Highly unlikely. What we have here is a boilerplate movie biography. Uh, this happened. Then this happened. Then he was shot. Then he recorded his biggest album in London at the height of the punk movement in the 70s. And his wife, Rita, uh, one of the I3's backup singers in the Whalers uh, confronted him about his extramarital dalliances and so on. But for all the effort to recreate his life and times with some flashbacks to his childhood, the youthful start of his romance with Rita, his early career, and the committed work by Benadir as Bob and Lynch as Rita, it never seems to dig deep enough. So the script is by four writers, including director Green, and it feels like it could have been based on a Wikipedia page. Uh, maybe his life would have been better served by a miniseries that could have done right by his odyssey from the Trenchtown shacks of his youth to global superstardom. I mean, I'm sure Whalers fans might enjoy it, but as much as this Whalers fan appreciated Marley's life and music being honored by a feature film, nothing lingered in its aftermath other than the echo of those most famous songs. Um, Bob Marley, One Love is in theaters right now. 
Uh, moving on to uh, some films that came out over the past couple weeks that I think are sort of notable, for better or worse. Another film I'm just going like, eh, why? Uh, screenwriter Diablo Cody has had a pretty uneven career since busting out with the script to uh, the clever and well-received 2007 teen pregnancy comedy Juno. In fact, other than Tully, which was a smart 2018 dramedy that she did with Charlize Theron, playing a frazzled mom in need of a nanny's help, I have been singularly unimpressed by Cody's movies, regardless of the director she's worked, uh, worked with. <clears throat> Jennifer's Body, Young Adult, and Paradise, which she herself directed, were smug and just not very good. And now we have another mediocre, smug Cody project with Lisa Frankenstein, a strained attempt to pay homage to teen horror comedies from the 1980s while putting a clumsy female empowerment spin on the proceedings. In other words, Diablo Diablo it. So Lisa Swallows, that's right, Lisa Swallows is her name, which I guess is good to know, um, is played by Catherine Newton. And she's an outcast teenage girl at a suburban high school in the 80s, which allows for a bunch of uh, poppy new wave needle drops and pastel clothes. You know, the likelihood of her having a prom date is minimal until she's hanging out in the local cemetery, as one does, and some kind of magical hand wavium revives the corpse of a once handsome young man who died many, many, many years ago. He's played by former Disney kid Cole Sprouse from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. And of course, Lisa has the hots for this. Oh, wait, wait, don't, don't, don't forget, don't forget Riverdale. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, I, I, I shouldn't, but I'd like to because it went down the toilet so quickly. No, I, no it didn't. The last it. season was terrific. Well, you know, I, I jumped ship after about the oh, third season. the last season. season was absolutely amazing. All right. I'll take that under advisement. I really, it, it was a guilty pleasure for me for a couple of years. And then I went like, oh, I'm done. Anyway, right, right, right. Um, uh, Lisa has the hots for this moldering thing who seems like the perfect goth dreamboat, except for the rotting. You know, he keeps losing body parts and that won't do. So Lisa decides to help him find and attach replacements regardless of the cost. Uh, thus, Lisa Frankenstein. In addition to the feeble humor, leaving me colder than a morgue, you need entirely too much suspension of disbelief or belief or any kind of suspension to buy the premise as it's laid out. For instance, there is no clear in-universe reason for Lisa to have the, the capabilities to successfully piece this decaying creature back together. The colors pop. And Newton has shown talent in other movies. She's game for anything. Plus, the always welcome Carla Gugino is here as Lisa's wicked stepmother. But Cody's uh, smirky stab at satire does not give Newton or Gugino much to work with. Uh, remember the mad Dr. Frankenstein crying, it's alive, alive, as, uh, you know, things went crazy in the classic 30s movies. Well, Lisa Frankenstein is dead on, on arrival. By the way, there is a Bay Area connection here, as you know, uh, you and I are both, um, you know, from in some parts of the Bay Area. Um, Zelda Williams directed it. She's the daughter of the late and lamented comedic master Robin Williams. Uh, Lisa Frankenstein still in theaters. Um, let's move on to Argyle. 
Uh, there are moments of inspiration and some draw-dropping dro uh, action sequences. One in particular was pretty cool. There's gorgeous money on the screen art direction and surprising turns and some high-grade actors doing what they do. But Argyle, uh, the latest spy spoof from director Math Matthew Vaughn of the uh, similarly jocular Kingsman franchise and Kick-Ass and Stardust and Layer Cake is so chaotic uh, a little too clever for its own good and a little too long at two hours and 20 minutes that I was pretty drained by the end rather than exhilarated. The initial premise is that a nerdy but cute cat fancier named Ellie Conway uh, and portrayed by Bryce Dallas Howard is one of the most successful authors of spy novels in the world and her hero, Agent Argyle, portrayed by strong-jawed Henry Superman Cavill in what appears to be Ellie's musings, is a James Bond-level pop culture icon. But her novels are somehow depicting real activities in the global espionage community, things that should be top-secret hush-hush and might compromise those shadow conflicts when revealed. So Ellie becomes a target of good guys and bad guys, and who really knows who is on what side and there is so much promise to the first 45 minutes that gets goosed in a good way by the you know the last couple of unexpected uh, unexpected plot twists that the increasingly weird payoffs that don't really pay off start to disappoint until another kind of crazy loony hyper action sequence draws you in again so the cast is A-list or A-minus at worst. The always awesome Sam Rockwell plays an agent who may or may not have Ellie's well-being at heart. John Cena plays Argyle's partner in the field. Catherine O'Hara plays Ellie's mom. And Brian Cranston plays the head of a secret organization. But which one? Are they good? Are they bad? And you get Samuel L. Jackson and Sophia Botella who were uh, villains in Vaughn's first Kingsman movie, although they may or may not be villains here. You even get uh, Oscar-winning actress and singer Ariana DeBose and in a small role singer Dua Lipa. The whole does not live up to the sum of its parts, making this one of the least of Vaughn's filmography and probably the most disappointing. But I will give Argyle a mulligan despite its unwieldy execution, because it's the sort of stuff I enjoy watching in the same way that I will gorge on mediocre spaghetti because pasta is my favorite dish. Anyway, Argyle, still in theaters, and he kind of looks pretty good up on the big screen for better or worse. I know this is like mediocrity land, so I'm going to go small for a couple films that were actually quite good. Suncoast is a very well-acted, occasionally... Uh, genuinely moving indie drama that folds a coming-of-age story and uh, terminal illness weepy into the real-life events surrounding the famous Terry Shavo. Shavo, how did you pronounce her name? Shavo, I would think. Shavo, the end-of-life case from 2005. And it's uh, at the Florida facility where Shavo was under medical care. That's where this all goes down. In Suncoast, a teenaged Doris, played by Nico Parker, who was one of the few good things about Disney's live-action remake of Dumbo, has been assisting her embittered, hard-nosed mom, Christine, played by Laura Linney, uh, as they take care of Doris's totally incapacitated brother. And when they move the brother into a hospice, it's the same medical center where the 15 years vegetative Shivo is being housed as the legal case involving her right to death rages in a nearby courthouse. 
So whenever Doris and Christine go to the facility to sit by the brother's bedside, they have to navigate, uh, navigate the demonstrators who are outside the building and protesting the plan by Shivo's husband to turn off his wife's feeding tube and thereby let her die. And there's more. Doris is enrolled in a private local school that her mother can barely afford, and Doris is trying to fit in with her much richer classmates, one of whom is a guy that she fancies and who seems to like her. So Suncoast has a dying brother, a frazzled mom, potential class conflict, and high school romance. A director, Laura Chin, who based her script on personal experience, could have called it Teens of Endearment, but thankfully she didn't. Suncoast is genuinely poignant and never saccharine. Parker's so fresh and believable as Doris. She's, in fact, I believe, the daughter of... Um, Tandaway Newton. Linny is up to her usual standards of excellence as Christine. And as a bonus, you get a genial Woody Harrelson as a sympathetic pro-life activist who befriends Doris. There's also a cameo by Matt Walsh from Veep as one of Doris's teachers. Suncoast is quite good, uh, and it is streaming on Hulu after a short run in theaters. I, I thought it was worth seeing. So if you have Hulu, check it out, I think. Um, all right. Um, how about another movie written and directed by a woman? It's the double X chromosome situation here. And this one, how to have sex, uh, is really a corker. In fact, it's one of the best movies I've seen this year with the caveat that it actually was released last year in the UK to sufficient acclaim that it earned a number of BAFTA nominations, including one for first time filmmaker, Molly Manning Walker. It's provocative title aside, How to Have Sex follows a trio of British teenage girls, besties Tara, Skye, and M, on what looks like the European equivalent of spring break, but is a pre-college summer holiday getaway to Greece. The three friends are looking to party hard and to get laid, especially Tara, who is the only virgin of the group. Throughout the a trim 98 minutes of How to Have Sex, they come off as painfully real, brought to vivid life by breakout actress Mia McKenna Bruce as Tara, Laura Peek as Sky, and Enya Lewis as M. They frolic in the Mediterranean, flirt with their fellow vacationers by the pool at the hotel, get wild at big outdoor raves, and yes, have sex on the beach and in hotel rooms as they uh, share secrets and search for what the Brits used to call the old rumpy pumpy. They also await results from their final exams. So Molly Manning Walker impressed the hell out of me with a naturalistic script and a sure direction, all of which resulted in a, a cinema verite vibe, that feeling of eavesdropping on actual adolescents at play, specifically girlfriends, uh, being privy to their pain and joy is a remarkable accomplishment, and there's nothing exploitive about it. I'm extremely eager to see what Walker does next. And the same goes for McKenna Bruce, whose ability to convey Tara's ever-changing moods is a marvel. Uh, her eyes speak volumes. It's in select theaters. Uh, New York and L.A. have this one. Uh, when it comes to video, I recommend you seek it out. Um, and and if you want to like support uh, smaller movies, check it out in the theater. Uh, quickly, American Star features the great Ian McShane of John Wick and Deadwood and Game of Thrones uh, as an aging but skilled assassin at the end of his deadly career. And he's the biggest asset of a, a quietly effective noirish thriller. 
Uh, American Star, contrary to its title, does not involve any American to speak of. It's about the name of a rusting cruise ship halfway sunk in the ocean waters near a beach on Fuerta Ventura, which is a minor vacation destination that one of uh, it's in one of the Canary Islands uh, off the Moroccan coast. And this is the setting of the movie, and it's going to be uh, the last kill by uh, McShane's character Wilson. And things go horribly wrong. And it's just the sort of thing I really, really like. And I enjoyed watching McShane, um, you know, as he goes about the island and tries to deal with a young bartender named Gloria and, and you know, uh, what seems to be a younger colleague who may be working against him. Directed by Gonzalo Lopez Gallega from a very spare script. Uh, the movie is well shot, and really helped by the somewhat exotic locale. And uh, there's even supporting work by one of France's most esteemed leading ladies, Fanny Ardant. Uh, I, I thought it was cool. It's in select theaters. But again, I think this should play well on video. What have you been watching, sir? What have I been watching? Um, let's see here. Uh, well, on, uh, what, what do you call it? On streaming, we've been watching Dr. Death. Whoa. Tell which me more. Is on Peacock, and it, it's uh, first. The first uh, season is uh, there are two seasons up. First season is about this doctor who is just totally incompetent, who keeps operating in the Texas area. Finally, I won't tell you how it turns out. And then the second one is very good. It's about this um, this uh, doctor, this um, uh, Italian doctor, who you may remember a few years ago said he had come up with an artificial. Um, uh, what do you call it? The thing in your, th in your throat, the uh, esophagus, uh, the uh, trachea. And he came up with a uh, artificial trachea, and it turned out it was all phony, and he was killing people putting it in. Every one of them were dying. Uh, Jesus. And it's, that one's really good, really good. Uh, and so I recommend it highly. And yeah. Did you uh, just a quick question before I, I I've been watching a few things, but did you watch the um, um, I guess Oscar nominated or it's it's been getting a lot of award uh, buzz Society of the Snow about the 1972 no, Andy's plane? I haven't. No. Um, I really recommend it's on Netflix and it's really good. It's the same story that was told in Alive, the 1993 film with Ethan Hawke. Well, I interviewed, you know, uh, I interviewed those guys. Wow, I'm yeah, telling yeah. you. Especially now that I know that Society of the Snow is one of the best things well, we're the, talking the best about. Thing, the best thing these guys told me was they didn't know it, but two miles away was a closed down for the win for the winter or the summer or whatever uh, um, ski lodge. Uh, what? Yeah, that had uh, a whole um, refrigerator full of food. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's not get. But they more kept going. They kept going. Here. They said they kept going in the wrong direction. So they they perceived they were in the middle of nowhere. But there was something they could have gone to. But they just oh seemed my to go God. in that direction. Yeah. Well, this is a very uh, powerful recreation of what happened. It's a docudrama of this plane crash in the seventies. Of this, um, you, you, I guess it's a Uruguayan rugby team and a few other passengers. Uh, Society of Snow just kicked ass. I thought it was really good. Um, TV stuff, just quickly. I, uh, I'm loving Criminal Record and Monsieur Spade. We, we both completely, of which we, we completely. We watched one episode, maybe two episodes of Criminal, what is it called again? Uh, criminal Record. <laughs> criminal Record, and we thought it was terrible. Just Got terrible. Better, it's gotten better and better with every episode. And Monsieur Spade on yeah. AMC uh, and AMC Plus starring um, 
Yeah, um, I, I, I can't figure out what's happening on that show, but it's good. <laughs> oh, it's it's yeah, it's better than Criminal Record, but I, I love Criminal Record. Monsieur Spade um, stars not Colin Firth. Um, you know who I'm thinking of the guy from Children of Men. Yeah, like anyway, Colin, uh, Colin Clive. Uh, uh, it's just a terrific film. Yeah. I really, really have gotten a kick out of it. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's Clive Owen. I mean, uh, why I confuse him with Colin Firth, I'll never know. But uh, I really enjoyed it. Early 60s, South. Uh, it's in France, the French countryside, and Sam Spade, the detective from the Dashiell Hammett novels, moves from San Francisco to France. It is... I, I love it. It's like... Everything I love about French film noir, but it's mostly in English with French subtitles. I think, I think it's I, I think it's good. I don't think it's that good. Okay, no, I, it's but, just it's just yeah. the sort of thing I love. That's the yeah. problem, I guess. I can't be totally. No, it, it, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting idea. You know, Sam Spade gets tired of being a detective in the United States. He moves to France. You know. And there's a reason why he moves and then why he stays. Um, one more quick note. Have you watched Feud, Capote versus the Swans yes, on very FX good. and Hulu? Very good. I, I Talk about your guilty pleasures. I generally don't like what Ryan Murphy produces, the creator of Glee and American Horror Story. I love watching Feud, Capote versus the Swans. And what a cast. Uh, Tom Hollander as Capote should get every Emmy nomination. And wow, Naomi Watts, Jessica Lange, Demi Moore, Diane Lane, Calista Flockhart, Chloe Sevigny, Gus Van Zant directed. It is prestige, uh, but it's also like fun, man. Anyway, that's it. That's it. Sorry. That's it. That, that's, that's all. It. You, that's all you got. Yeah, there are two other films we saw as screeners that we got from our union. Uh, oh, tell me. Uh, uh, we watched. Um, uh, American fiction, which quite one frankly my, I think is the best picture I saw this year. Absolutely, know. one of my favorite films of last year. I gushed about it when we did a segment. An amazing, a amazingly simple film, you know, uh, and with a, a tour de force acting by Jeffrey Wright, and uh, you know, again, as opposed to Capote, uh, there's no makeup involved. You know, it's not like you're applauding the makeup like with Maestro. You know. No, no, and it's and it's funny. It is a funny movie. Yes, uh, American fiction. And also, yeah, I, I I loved it. Yeah, and and my other the other thing we saw, which was just horrible, was Ferrari. Yeah, not a, not a great film. Oh God, not a great film is to put it is to give it more credit than it's due. You well, know, I mean, uh, Penelope film's... Cruz is quite good in a thankless role. Yeah. Yeah, and, exactly. and, the, and the race car sequences are good, but Adam Driver, I'm going to tell you, it's another Italian accent from Adam Driver. Yeah, you know, Adam Driver, is, he's, he's, he's okay if he's used correctly, but he wasn't used right. correctly here. He was, he was, I didn't believe him in the role, okay? Well, his, his Italian accent is not as bad as Tom Hanks' Geppetto, who seemed to be channeling um, Super Mario when he did that movie. But yeah, no, it, yeah. Eh. Anyway, yeah, you can check me out on uh, Twitter at Culture Blaster, mm-hmm. on uh, on Facebook at Michael Snyder's Culture Blast page, and happily here on GabNet with Alex Bennett. All right, Michael, that's Michael Snyder. All the movies, what to see, what not to see, and uh, he has to suffer through them, not you. So thank him very much for his service. 
Anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you, Michael. And there's more Gabnet coming right up, so stay right there. <laughs> 